It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook, where we post all of our podcast content, and you can subscribe to Locked on Packers on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how, and today we are doing, we're bringing back Crossover Wednesday, Jeff Lloyd from Locked on Browns is in the house to talk about all of the myriad ways that these teams are connected, and in, in especially from the Browns' perspective with all the former Packers there, uh, most recently James Campen. And, and we're going to talk about the relationship there, what the expectations are, why Mike McCarthy was or wasn't a good fit, and everything surrounding that team. And I, I wanted to do that for a couple reasons, and one of them is just we've been laser-focused on this Packers team. And I think sometimes it's helpful to take a step back, to look around. And this was a particularly interesting team to have that discussion with because these were the two plum jobs in the offseason. At least that's what we thought. And they were the jobs that were compared to one another the most, in part because Mike McCarthy was a candidate in Cleveland. But these were the, the two jobs, they were the prize of the, the coaching carousel. Baker Mayfield in one city, Aaron Rodgers in another. The chance to restore a team to its its recent glory. And then the other is a chance to, to, to take a team really to the next level and restore glory of, you know, basically grandfathers. <laughs> uh, at this point, you know, the Browns have not been good in a really really, really long time. So Jeff Lloyd is here to talk about all of that with us. And, you know, I think here and there, it's important to, to get these perspectives from other teams and remember that the Packers are not the only team in the NFL. Um, and, and you listen to this show because you love the Packers and that's the team that you care about. But I think it's good to have some perspective and to, to remember that, you know, the Packers are not as dysfunctional as they may seem at times relative to other franchises. They're not as stable as they may seem at times relative to other franchises. So being able to have these discussions really allows us to, I think, gain some perspective when it comes to the Packers in particular. But before we get to Jeff, there is a, a, one little thing that I want to hit on here, and that is the focus on the offensive line. And it, it comes in two ways. The first is Matt LaFleur in his press conference, mentioned that in order for Aaron Rodgers to succeed, he needs to be kept healthy. He needs to be kept clean. 
LaFleur said he's taken a lot of hits. Certainly that's going to be at the forefront of our thought process in terms of protection. But over the last four seasons, the Packers have allowed 186 sacks. Rodgers, because Brett Hundley played a bunch of those games, Rodgers has taken 153 of those sacks. Only the Cleveland Browns and the San Francisco 49ers have allowed more over that time period. And so when the Packers decide that they're going to move on from James Campen, a respected, successful offensive line coach, that raises some eyebrows. Now, what has happened in the last 24 hours, depending on when you're listening to this, is two very respected and very successful offensive line coaches, especially in 2018, have become available. The Colts offensive line coach and the Bengals offensive line coach. The Bengals coach is Frank Pollock, and the Colts coach is Dave DiGuglielmo, I believe is how you pronounce that. Uh, I, I did practice it before we came on. And and in the case of DiGuglielmo, 56 sacks a year ago, 18 sacks last year. Now you bring in Quentin Nelson, you bring in Braden Smith, and, and clearly they played at, at a really high level. Nelson was an all-pro. But the, the, the scheme of that offense and the coaching of that offensive line played enormous factors in keeping Andrew Luck upright and healthy and unscathed. He's a guy that will sit back there and take shots to make throws. And so will Aaron Rodgers. But the point would be to give him opportunities to not have to take those sacks to make those throws. So either one of these coaches would be, and you can't say upgrades because we don't know, but these are successful respected coaches and clearly Matt LaFleur believes that this is an important thing this is an important thing to get right and we have heard that that the front office has played a role in suggesting and and perhaps insisting on a McCarthy house cleaning that Joe Witt you know he was not Mike Patton's call James Campen may not have been uh, Matt LaFleur's call but clearly the front office wants a fresh start. And these two coaches who are good coaches would offer that kind of fresh start. They would offer a new take. And I have, I've gotten some questions about, oh, you know, with the Hackett hire, and this is relevant here. Oh, wouldn't it have been better to hire a Shanahan guy? And, you know, I, I think there is some intuitive logic there. Someone's going to come in and help you install a system that they're already familiar with. But I think also what you have to have to think about here is that, and we talked about it yesterday, that diversity of ideas. There, there are different kinds of blocking schemes, and they do matter. But the Packers, especially in the run game, are adept at the zone blocking scheme, especially outside zone. So... The, the run schemes are not going to be the problem here. What you need is a coach who can take talent when you draft them and, and even once they're in the building and develop them. That is the offensive in the, in the modern NFL. The number one job of an offensive line coach is to develop talent because these guys are not doing NFL things in college on a consistent basis. They're past setting for 
two seconds. They're not learning power run schemes. They're not learning NFL run schemes. There's a ton of RPO action, so the ball is coming out hot, and they're not learning how to sustain blocks. They're not learning proper technique because they don't have to because the ball's out or or it, they're, they're not play side or you know they're not even going to bother to block the defensive end every snap. So it is up to the offensive line coach. And I know that offensive line play and offensive line coaching especially is not the sexiest topic. I get it. It's not. Even for me, who, who who nerds out about all of this stuff and who who follows it closely, and and this is my job. That's not something that that excites me, but it is important, and it's important for the Packers. It's important for every team, and it is not a, a surprise, and shouldn't be a surprise, that the four teams left have really good offensive lines, that they've been able to protect their quarterbacks. And part of the reason Aaron Rodgers has taken so many sacks over the last four years is because he takes a lot of sacks, and he always has. Even in 2011, in 2014, at the peak of his powers, he still wants to extend plays and create down the field. And I don't think that's something that is is necessarily bad. That's a feature, not a bug, because he's taking sacks rather than throwing interceptions. And if he's throwing touchdown passes too, then you, you worry less about you know him wanting to always extend the play and, and get into the perfect scenarios. What you hope, and I wrote about this uh, with Andrew Luck and the Colts before the season, it has to be more than just the offensive line, and it has to be more than just the offense. But the offense plays an important part. And what Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni told me about trying to protect Andrew Luck, the quarterback, the person, the body of Luck, was... They expect him to protect himself with his brain. Aaron Rodgers has to come in this season with the understanding that he can't get hurt. He cannot get hurt. And given that context, he needs to get the ball out. And and in that context, Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett have to put together game plans that allows Rodgers to, if, if he gets through one and two, and it's not there, then he needs to have an outlet, a safety valve. And that's what the Patriots scheme so well. You know, James White had 15 catches on Sunday, broke his own record for a running back catching passes. There's always an outlet. And Aaron Rodgers in the Mike McCarthy scheme last year, there there were times when, when he just gave up on outlet passes. But part of that was there were also times when there was no outlet. And Aaron Jones didn't make himself available to the quarterback. And there weren't appealing pressure release points in this offense. One of the big responsibilities that Matt LaFleur is going to have is to find and and create pressure relief valves in this offense so that they they can create chunk plays. But when those plays aren't there, Rodgers can buy a little bit of time and or drop the ball off to the back. This all works in conjunction to make sure Aaron Rodgers stays healthy and to make sure Aaron Rodgers stays upright. The reopening is right around the corner and there's a chance that no one has seen your balls in months. Don't ruin your first post-quarantine date with a ball fro. Would you show up on the first day of school without a haircut? Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Do you really want the next person to see your down there hair to think you weren't expecting anyone to see it? No one wants that. 
The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced while preparing yourself for post-quarantine life. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, water-resistant cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, the perfect one-two punch to keep your one-two punch fresh all day long. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean so you can too. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, so treat yourself for making it through quarantine with the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code locked on at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code locked on. Matt Williamson brings the scouts' perspective to the Locked On NFL podcast. You got to talk. 2018 quarterbacks. Josh Allen has the best quarterback record aside from Lamar Jackson, but the lowest completion percentage other than Josh Rosen. He's just been a complete garbage for the most part when he's been allowed to play. Yeah. So throw a couple nuggets out on Allen, and I know he's a lot bigger, a lot stronger, but he kind of reminds me of early career RG3. What's kind of remarkable about Allen is he is so gifted. And he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws. But his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. Hear Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. It is a rare off-season crossover. Locked On Packers, Locked On Browns. I am Peter Bukowski, joined by Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns. And this there is so much crossover without us even doing a show, Jeff, between the Packers and the Browns right now, uh, even hiring each other's coaches after pillaging the Packers front office staff last offseason. It has been a, a crazy season for you. And, and you entered this offseason the same way the Packers did looking for the next head coach. Both teams now have one. From your perspective uh, with the Browns, what was the search like for you guys? Um, I, I think they set it. You know, they you know, set a big, big net. Um, and I think part of it was is you know you didn't want to live too much in the moment of Freddie Kitchens. I mean, you wanted to you know look. I mean, you know, second half of the season, obviously, the second overall offense is what he led and it was the play caller. Uh, you know, got development from Baker. Obviously, Nick Chubb. You know, burned first on the scene as you know a guy who's going to be probably a top ten back numbers wide for years to come. Got a lot of growth out of your wide receiver position, your tight end position. But you still had to say, hey, are we sure here? Are we not just living in the seven games of what Freddie did? So, look, I mean, he's never had a head coaching interview. So you wanted him to make sure he was prepared and ready to come in with it. And they were, you know, they said today it was unanimous. Even if it was, it wasn't. It just seemed with all, you know, all that went on with, you know, the interviews, it was just tending to to go that way and, Look, you have the uh, all the confidence in the world in Baker Mayfield. You found a guy that he's worked with very well over the second half of the season. Yeah, I think you needed a new voice there. Granted, there's going to be some players added to that defense, which should improve it, and they are a very young unit with itself. But I think they just had so much going on offense. And even if they felt Freddie Kitchens was maybe a year away, 
it was better to hire him and give him this role now as opposed to maybe seeing him go on to be head coach of another franchise and you never got the chance to dance the dance with the guy you thought was going to be the guy one day. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the thing that is my biggest hesitation with all of this, and that is how much how much were the seven games a factor in this decision relative to finding a coach and going through a process that, in retrospect, seems a little bit stilted. It seems like it was a little bit rigged is the wrong word, but they set it up for Freddie to succeed. And they clearly wanted to keep him. That's the only reason you give Mike McCarthy an offer contingent on him keeping a guy like Freddie Kitchens. What I what I struggle with is believing that after they hired and and overturned every stone in the NFL, every coach, the guy that they thought was best for this job, not just in 2019 and 2020, but for the next 5, 10, 15 years, was the guy who three months ago was a running backs coach that no one had ever really given two thoughts about. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that, um, but it was just the night and day of it. I mean, look, with Hugh Jackson, obviously a veteran and established presence in this league, his time in Cleveland, be that as it may, yes, it was terrible. Uh, you know, Todd Haley. But nothing they seemed, and there was never a point where the offense was clicking. I mean, and the offense was clicking right off the bat in the Kansas City game. Yeah, I mean, it, there there is no questioning that seven games. Uh, I, I am still the kind of the, the kind of person that believes Mike McCarthy would have been an excellent fit in Cleveland. I know that that you were not one of those people, and that's okay. But I think we also agree that given the way everything— I think the thing for me with McCarthy was because it was coming off such a long relationship with Aaron Rodgers. And even if it were the Jet job or even if it was the Cleveland job, you know, here it is. You know, do I want to go commit another 10, 15 years? Because, you know, that's basically if you're doing it right, if you took the Jet job, if you're doing it right, you took the Cleveland job. That was the commitment you were writing yourself into. And, you know, for my, you know Mike would had such a long run out there. And it, even like the talk of, oh, you know, the Jet job's not bad. You know, his uh, his wife and his two stepsons, you know, they want to stay in Green Bay. It's close. I mean, doesn't seem like that close like he's not leaving practice and popping in for dinner i no. mean it's not like it's boston it's not like it's boston where he's in you know he's on a plane and he's there in 90 minutes so that stuff was a little bit hard to read that way but this might be better for mike you know maybe mike can come back where there's a guy who had a more established team and there's less building that needs to be done because look there's still work needs to be done with the browns um but you know, say a team that you know it w- was close enough and you know somehow somewhere they end up parting with their head coach and Mike McCarthy comes in as the veteran guy with the veteran roster that's already in place. Maybe it's a little easier transition for him. But I, I think for Mike, maybe the best thing was to just get a year away. And the other thing is I felt if you were hiring him, you were maybe hiring him right now at his worst. So go back, recharge your batteries. You know, watch what some of these other young, innovative offensive coordinators are doing. You know, because you always got to evaluate yourself and, you know, and try to make yourself better. And, you know, so it, it's just crazy how it went. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think Mike's going to do the right thing for him. Maybe do a little TV, get to look at the game from a different perspective. And there'll be really good jobs still available. It always works out that way. So I think he'll be able to slide into another position. But I, it just seemed like you were going to get him maybe at his worst and you were going to need him kind of to be at his best. And that was the worrisome feelings I had with Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a, a very real scenario where the Steelers go seven and nine, eight and eight next year. Tomlin is out, and Mike McCarthy, the the Pennsylvania native, suddenly steps into a team that that has its eye on a Super Bowl championship sooner rather than later. Uh, yep. Flipping this around, though, the Packers make their hire in in a surprise move. I think most people thought Josh McDaniels was the front runner. That was the perception. That was what all the reporting said. So when the Packers announce Matt Lafleur. As their next head coach, from from your perspective as an outsider with no dog in the race here, 
what was your what was your thought on it? The first thing I thought was, I mean, look, I mean, if you look at you know Tennessee and what they did this year, I mean, is the first thing you're going to say to yourself is, wow, man, I want to get me a piece of that Tennessee Titans offense. I mean, other than you know Derrick Henry going bananas in the month of December. Um, there wasn't much to it, but look, I mean, we're seeing this now and you look at this cycle. I mean, and a prime example was the defensive coordinator. The Browns got, you know, Steve Wilkes, obviously one year in Arizona, nobody is looking to hire a defensive head coach right now. Nobody, nobody's looking to do it. So, I mean, look, there's going to be stacked defensive coaching units all throughout this NFL because these are, I mean, a lot of these guys aren't, they're not going to get the shots they deserve right now. And basically it's almost because it's a bias thing of, is we want this next guy and, you know, everybody with the next McVeigh. Maybe it's not the next McVeigh, but everybody wants the next offensive coordinator, head coach guy who can put 30, you know, get you 30 points a week. And you figure if you have the ball long enough, that should be enough to get you to, you know, double digit victories where you go to the playoffs. And then, you know, look, I mean, if you look what the Rams did the other night, obviously adapting, you know, running the ball for well over 200 yards. You look at what New England did yesterday. Uh, OK, it's a playoff time. Now we'll start running the ball. But maybe find that guy. I mean, and there's no odder one than maybe even Kingsbury, who got fired. And just basically, you know, he was a guy who did nothing for six weeks and his name just grew and grew and grew and grew. And all of a sudden he had, you know, he had to get out of the offensive coordinator job in college to take a head coaching job in the NFL. But it's crazy. Um, but LaFleur, obviously, he's got the roots. He's been around. He's been a part of you know many staffs and systems. Um, and I, I think what I heard, and this was a key one, is, you know, and I, I do agree with this so much, is when you have a, a talent like Aaron Rodgers, you need somebody that's going to make him test his talent and, and think a little bit more. And, and I think maybe that was the thing, you know, where it's a, it's a newer guy with some younger concept. Isn't that basically what the deal was, Pete? Yeah. I think when you're looking at it that way, um, there was, it was not just a newer guy with newer concepts because Mike McCarthy had introduced more than just, you know, slant flat. That was not all the Packers offense had been, uh, in 2018. Wow, that's, what the, that's, that's the way that, that's the way the story gets told though. Huh? It, Interesting. It, it is the way the story gets told. <laughs> Uh, and I have, I have, for the jokes on Twitter, uh, told it that way in the past. But I want to go back to a point that you just made about the offensive coach. I think something that happened in Cleveland especially, but was something that was, was discussed in Green Bay as part of their coaching search. There were a lot of fans that wanted Vic Fangio in Green Bay. And the thought was, bring in a coach like Zach Taylor, who is now is probably going to be the head coach of the Bengals, so this is moot. But bring in a guy like that, have him call your offense. My problem with that always was, well, if the offense goes as planned in a year or two, he's going to get a new head coaching job and you're done. And this is the point you made about Freddie Kitchens, which is why I understand why Cleveland did what they did. If we think as the Browns that, that Kitchens is going to be a head coaching candidate in a year or two, and we like him, then what we have to do in order to keep him is simply make him the head coach because if we don't, he's going to go be an OC somewhere or, or even if he's the OC here, in a year or two, he's going to go get a head coaching job and we can't stop him. Yeah, and that, that was kind of what it came down to. And, and look, maybe, you know, obviously, you know, he progressed faster than they would have thought. And John Dorsey, a light went on with him really, really quickly. You know, and even now, look, if Mike McCarthy come here, you know, came here, you would have given him his minimum, his minimum three, four years. So, yeah. And if things went right, yeah, you absolutely would have lost Freddie Kitchens. You know, yes, it was somewhat in the moment, but, you know, the moment was so good. And you have your franchise quarterback. You have plenty of pieces on defense. You're still going to have around 90 million in cap space. They still have 11 draft choices. Probably, are, probably won't even make 
my guess would be maybe seven, if that. So, you know, they have manu- you know flexibility to move up in the draft like that. And I think it was just that they so much of what they liked with the offense and the skill and the way it all worked together. And even the offensive line where you put in Greg Robinson, who had here been basically, you know, an absolute, you know, yeah, a, a, you know, an NFL draft bust came in, solidified that left tackle position, was able to keep Baker clean. I mean, there were weeks where Baker Banfield was doing postgame interviews without a grass stain on his uniform. Uh, you take another colossal NFL draft bust like Bashard Perriman. And not only did he play, he played well. And it, it made a serious, serious contribution. Obviously, wide receiver and uh, coach Adam Henry was kept. He was one of these guys, and it was a big thing with Freddie. It was a big thing with Henry was no balls will be dropped. You drop a ball in practice, you don't get balls during the game. And there were some weeks where some guys were missing in the game plan. Antonio Callaway had a couple weeks as such. So you kind of got the feeling that maybe you know there were some passes dropped during the week in practice. And those guys were kind of eliminated from the game plan on Sunday. Obviously, Callaway got himself right because he uh, closed the season out very well. You know, big, big game in weeks, uh, week 17 against Baltimore. But I, I think there was it, there was now accountability. And it showed that practice mattered, which had been such a farce that, not, that didn't exist under Hugh Jackson. And it was, if you get it done here in the practice field, you will be a part of the game plan. And it showed that way. And I think it kind of, it was a signal that resonated to the rest of the team that this is a certain way things were going to be done. If you wanted to be a Cleveland Brown, whether it was going to be Freddie's job or somebody else's job, they were starting to change, you know, and everybody likes to use the culture change. But this is a professional thing. This is what you're supposed to do. You're paid a god awful lot of money. The least you can do, you know, unless you're in a walking boot, is show up on Wednesday and give a solid hour and a half effort at practice. And I think it started to become a thing week in, week out. And the defense bought in, and there were weeks where they got to close out games like the Denver game. We got a huge play from Jabril Peppers, and it just became such an accountability for every guy on that roster that they just didn't want to risk bringing in a new voice up top. And I just I don't think they could have. And, you know, it just it swayed and swayed more that they would they would rather stick with the way it was going and just continue to add pieces to the roster. Well, and I, I hate to harp on this, but that would have been where Mike McCarthy absolutely shined as a culture setter, as a CEO coach. There are a few guys in the league who I would trust more with my franchise to make sure that sort of baseline professionalism was very much baseline and that the expectation was we go above and beyond this because that is that is just how we do things here. I want to I want to pivot a little bit because uh, I, just, I just do want to say one more thing, though. I think I, I do think Mike got a little bit of a bad rap. Um, look, you know, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is obviously a difficult guy to deal with, you know, all the talent in the world. And I can understand sometimes there were some differences, but you can't discount that Mike McCarthy was the head coach of that franchise as long as he was and what he did. No, there's no question. There's no question. And, and I was I was defensive for Mike at, at various times. You yes, know, on you social were social media about, you know, some of the there was some McCarthy slander that I was just not going to be here for because. He and I said this before he was even fired. Uh, I, I said, you know, you look around the league at some of the garbage coaches that have been in the league for the last 15, 20 years. McCarthy would be the best coach in franchise history for like 10 teams and and probably more just because of, was, of what he was able to accomplish. It, it really is staggering that so many people were were willing to turn up their nose at that prospect. Yeah, I definitely think he got a raw deal in that raw deal in that aspect, and it'll be better for him because now, I mean, look, and he can watch from afar, and you know, he will know, you know, okay, all right, well, that's going to be a job opening, that's going to be a job opening, and he he can sit and evaluate for himself and say, yeah, all right, well, if they call, we're definitely interested. Them, I, I don't know, but I mean, it, it, I, I think he's going to allow himself to get 
into a position he would be more comfortable with when he does take his next gig. Jeff, this was fun. We'll do it again uh, next year. Uh, Locked on Packers, Locked on Browns. I am Peter Bukowski, Jeff Lloyd, on a crossover edition, the rarely seen off-season crossover edition. All right, I want to thank Jeff again for joining Locked on Packers. Always a pleasure to talk to Jeff, talk a little Cleveland, and just get a little color from around the league. That's that's not a, a Browns-related pun, but it's a, it's a happy coincidence. I'll take it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. A lot of your questions have already come in. There are more that, that I would love to get to because, you know, a lot of you have similar questions. So... Let's try and think outside the box. Let's try and think free agency. Let's try and think draft. And let's have a really good show tomorrow with all of the questions that you send in. I've got a, I've got a list. I've got a couple that I like. And, and we're going to get to them. But send in your questions and be a part of the show. You know the number. You know what to do. And you can follow me on Twitter. Send me those questions there at Peter underscore Bukowski. If they intrigue me enough, I'm just going to answer them on the spot. Uh, if you want to save them, those answers for the podcast, just let me know. And I will uh, I will do that if it's a question that I'd like to answer. So hit me up on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can do the same with the Locked on Packers main page at Locked on Packers. You can do it on Facebook. Ask your questions there. I did get a, a Facebook question this week. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll get a chance to answer that tomorrow. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775. Tomorrow, our last show of the week, which means it's your last chance to stay Locked on Packers. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite NBA team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.